I want to start this morning uh, by teaching you the gospel in four phrases from the Bible, okay? So this is the gospel in four phrases. This is how it goes. It is good, it is cursed, it is finished, and it is what? Done. Okay, let's, let's say those all together. It is good, it is cursed, it is finished, and it is done. So let's start with it is good. In John chapter 1 verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's John 1 verse 1. So right at the start of creation, you have the Word, which is Jesus Christ. And so the spoken Word was there before the birth of earth. We know him as Jesus, but if he was, but if he was a 90s hip-hop artist, then his name would have been The Word. And it, and it says in verse 3 of John chapter 1, that through him all things were made. Okay, if we can go back to the first slide and just leave it there, that would be awesome. Great. So in verse 3 John 1, it says, Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. So this word of God, known as Jesus, he created everything. And how did he create? He created through the spoken word. He said, let there be over and over again. He said, let there be a vault, let there be water under the sky, uh, let the land, land produce, let the waters teem. He said, let there be light. And in Psalm 33, verse 9, it sums it all up by saying, He spoke and it came into existence. It came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So right from the start, we see that the, the, that the spoken word, the, the word that comes out of the mouth is a creative word. Word and action are linked. They are both part of the creative process of God himself. He spoke and it happened. And why this is important is that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we are told this, that God created mankind, humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So we're made in God's image, which means that we have creative power as well. And God said, it is good. It is good. This is the first phrase of the gospel. It is good. Now, the second phrase, it is cursed. At, at the start, creation was good. In fact, God says of humankind that what he saw was very good. And part of his good creation was to grant us free will so that we could choose to love him and to trust him and to follow him, or we could choose to go our own way. And that makes sense, right? Because you cannot force someone to love them. And as we know, we went our own way and kind of ever since Adam and Eve, we've, we've been going our own way. And this led to a separation of humans from, from God. And so in Genesis 3 verse 17, he says, of his good creation, it is cursed. It was good, now it's cursed. Sin had started its incursion into God's good world like a malignant cancer. But that's not the end of the story because after God said it is good and then he said it is cursed, he then mounted a rescue mission involving his own son to open up the possibility of relationship with every human being and to start this process of recreation. And so on the cross, Jesus said in John 19 verse 30, it is finished. 
which means that the rescue mission that Jesus had mounted had, had come to its completion, and it had accomplished what he, what he had set out for. He had undone the effects of the fall. He had freed us so that we could come to him freely. So, so the tide had turned and the war was won. And so, so Satan and his angels, so, so this enemy who attacks us now, he's a defeated enemy who knows that his days are numbered. But that's still not the end of the story. You know, you would think that if someone says it is finished, that it's finished, but that's still not the end of the story. For that, we need to turn to Revelation 21, verse 5. Now, this is a glimpse into the future, and here we see the creator God becoming the recreator God. He says in, uh, in Revelation 21, verse 5, I think it is, he says, I am making everything new. And then he says in the next verse, he says, it is done. So it's good, it is cursed, it is finished, it is done. This is the message of the gospel in four phrases. And each of these it is phrases, it is good, it is cursed, it is finished, it is done. All of these are from God's mouth himself. Self. These are his words. Now, one of the um, tasks of a good leader is to really define reality. You know, we don't want to go through life uh, in, a, you know, in a dream or in a fantasy. We want reality, and so a good leader defines reality. And what God is doing in these four phrases is he's defining reality for us. He doesn't tell us what we want to hear. He tells us what is. And so through these four phrases, we learn that creation could not have been more good than it was. It was amazing. It was perfect. It was absolutely beautiful. And we also learn that the fall could not have been more tragic or more cursed than it was. We also learn that Jesus' work on the cross could not have been more complete or more finished than it was. And so when God will say it is done, he means it. The old will have passed away. Everything will be new, which is great. But right now, where we are in terms of Earth's history and Earth's time is that we're living in between these two statements. It is finished and it is done. We're right there in the middle of them. And so... You know, so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we live in a world where Jesus' work is finished, but God's full redemption of creation hasn't yet come in its fullness? How do we live in a time in between times? Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, I would say to you that your primary task now until Jesus comes or until you die is not simply to hold on. No way. Your main job, your mandate, is to continue recreating what sin broke. To let, let the Holy Spirit in you renew and remake what sin and Satan stole and ruined. That is your mandate. That is my mandate. Your task is recreation. And just like God spoke the word into being, spoke the world into being using words of creative power, so we are to speak into being what currently does not exist, using God, words that are full of God's creative power. That's what we're supposed to do, which is quite the mandate. That's more than just sitting in church on a Sunday morning, right? That's something else entirely. 
We are many creators. God is the big C creator, but we are many, many creators. And just like God, we create using our words because our words have creative power. Now, unlike God, we cannot bring the universe into being through the Big Bang, through his words. That's not what, what we're able to do. But like God, we can bring into being what was previously not there through what we say, which is incredible. And that's because we're made in God's image. So what I'd like you to do is to imagine your daily routine, your life, your job, your family, and your friends. What you're picturing in your mind, what you're imagining right now, your day-to-day life, that is your corner of God's universe. Okay? That is your corner of God's universe. This is the space in which you can create, in which you have a measure of creative control, in which you are given power to speak into existence God's kingdom. Now, if you knew that your words had God-given power to bring into existence what was not previously there, I wonder what you would say. What would you choose to speak? Or another way of wording it is, What is your corner of the universe going to look like as you create it for God's glory? Because your corner of the universe is populated with people. Last week we looked at husbands, love with anticipation, and we looked at wives, love with exclusivity, uh, And the week earlier, we looked at children, um, love with engagement, and we looked at parents, love with honor. But there are two more groups in your corner of God's universe, and these are your friends and your neighbors. And so for the sake of our purposes today, let's let's describe neighbors as those with, with whom you have geographical closeness through circumstance. And let's talk about friends as being those with whom you have emotional closeness through choice, okay? So you've got geographical closeness through circumstance, maybe you've moved in next to them, and then you've got friends with whom you have emotional closeness through choice. I choose to be your friend, to, to hang out with you. Um, on, on Friday, I was at the Ball Diamond with Nathan, we're, we're both on the same team, and me and one of my teammates were sitting during that inning, and I would consider him an, a neighbor. He's someone who circumstances brought us geographically close, and he says to me, so which church are you a pastor of? And I told him, and he, and, and he knows Cornerstone, so I asked him if he goes to church, and he said no, but he said that there is some Christian influence in his family through his, his grandma. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever conversations start to turn towards faith, I'm always thinking, how can I represent God as well as I can and not screw up too much? Right? It's that sense of hope and fear. Should I? Shouldn't I? Should I say something? Oh, no, I shouldn't. Right? And so often I'm mentally preparing myself for 
their objections. How can you believe in a God with all this evil in the world? How can you believe that Jesus is the only way? What about the Muslims and the atheists and the Mormons? You know, I'm, I'm kind of stealing myself ready for those kind of questions. And sometimes I think I can be so much in my own head that um, readying my answers that I miss the moment. But I don't know, through God's grace, this time I was present enough not to miss the moment by thinking, what will I say next? And so instead, I, I, I looked at this neighbor of mine, this, this, this lad on my team, and I simply said, you know, for me, it's not about the religion. It's more about the relationship because um, he knows I'm a pastor. He knows I'm at church. And it's easy just to leave it talking about religion and church and buildings and stuff. And so I said, it's not so much about the uh, religion. It's about the relationship. Jesus, and then I said this, which is nothing I've ever read in any evangelism book or anything like that. But all I said was, Jesus is someone who I talk to every day and I love it. And then I said, you should come to church sometime. And then I left it at that. Now, that man was my neighbor, and God asked me to speak God's recreation into my corner of the universe where he happened to be at that moment. Now, I don't always do it well, because a couple of weeks earlier, again at the Ball Diamond, um, there was another mate on my team, and he said, well, you know, all these faiths, you know, they're all kind of the same, and all that matters is that you're sincere, and I think I responded with a, with a, like a stupid head nod, one of these like, you know, I don't know what to say, so I'll just nod. And, um, and ever since that conversation, I've been mentally kicking myself, thinking I had an opportunity to say, no, Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, but I missed it. And so I've been saying, Lord, would you let me have one more opportunity to maybe wrap up that conversation because he has some wrong thinking there. Now, each, each, each word that we say is a seed planted. Each word that we say is a brick laid. Each word has creative power embedded within it. And so your job is to recreate your corner of God's universe. And the primary tool that he gives you is your words. And the people who live in your corner are your friends and, and your neighbors. So let's start with your neighbors. And right now I'm going to invite Haven up and she's going to prepare. Because what I want you to have in your mind. Okay, that's supposed to say neighbors. Pretend that says neighbors. Okay? It's supposed to say neighbors. And what I want you to have in your mind are your neighbors. So if this helps, it helps you to close your mind and kind of access your imagination so that you have someone in your mind, then you do that. You need to think of them, maybe two of them. Now, these are people who you happen to be geographically close to, okay? They're not necessarily people who you'd consider friends. Maybe it's your next-door neighbor. Maybe it's your work colleague. Maybe it's your gym acquaintance. Maybe it's a cashier who you happen to see regularly. Maybe it's your kids' school teachers. Maybe it's your school bus driver. Maybe it's your classmates. Maybe it's church folk even. Maybe it's people who have cottages or trailers next to yours. Think about who these two people are, these neighbors. Think about how you know them. Where did you meet them? What's your relationship like with them? 
Where is it that you bump into them most regularly? And while you're thinking about them, I've asked Haven to read some Proverbs to you. And as Haven reads these Proverbs to you, I want you to allow the truth of God to settle into your heart and mind. What is God saying to you? What is he reminding you of? As you hear the word neighbor in these verses, is this a description of the relationship that you have with your neighbor? And maybe as the verses are are being read, they will bring other neighbors into your mind, and that's okay. Just be receptive to what God is saying to you. Let's have a few seconds of silence, and then if you can start reading through the Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 27 to 30. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you, when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason, when they have done you no harm. Proverbs eleven nine. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Proverbs fourteen twenty one. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 16:29 A violent person entices their neighbor and leads them down a path that is not good. Proverbs 24:28-29 Do not testify against your neighbor without cause. Would you use your lips to mislead? Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. Proverbs 25, 7 to 10. What you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to court. For what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? If you take your neighbor to court, do not betray another's confidence, or the one whose heart, or the one who hears it, may shame you, and the charge against you will stand. Proverbs 25, 17. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and they will hate you. Proverbs 26, 18 to 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Proverbs 29, 5 to 6. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Evildoers are snared by their own sin, but the righteous shout for joy and are glad. As these verses were read out, I wonder if any shouted out to you louder than the others. Is God speaking to you about someone in your life who you wouldn't call a friend, but through whose circumstances has come to be geographically close to you? Is this relationship the best that it can be? Is there anything that God would have you change or 
or improve? How can you speak God's recreation into this neighbor's life in your corner of God's universe? Now, now for me, I can veil many cutting, honest, and hurtful words under the mask of I was only joking. So for me, I have to put into practice Proverbs 26, 18 through 19. I must choose to create the world that God wants. And each word I utter is a brick that builds a wall, that builds a house, that builds a subdivision, that builds a country, that builds a world. And, in this, and is this world that I'm creating, is it one that is aiding God in his universe-wide recreation? Or am I working at odds with him? Am I being the best God-glorifying neighbor that I can be? Now, friends, on the other hand, are people who you, through choice, have allowed to get emotionally close to you. With friends, the joys are more profound, the conversations are deeper, the love is stronger. But also remember this, that with friends, the stakes are higher. So when when betrayal comes, the pain is much, much deeper and a lot harder for you to recover from. With bad neighbors, you can relocate geographically. But with friends, the withdrawal from relationship is a lot more complicated and it costs a lot more. It can leave wounds that are slow to heal and it can leave scars that can never go away, that might never go away. Now, there's this psychologist, Robin Dunbar, and he says that as human beings, this is kind of our limit of what our friends are able to be. So we can have five intimate friends, we can have 15 good friends, we can have 50 close friends, we can have 150 friends, and we can have 1,500 people who, whose, name you, whose face you can put a name to. Now, I don't know about you whether this resonates with you, whether you think you can handle more or less than this. Um, I know that being an extrovert or an introvert has an impact on it. Um, what your emotional stability is like has an impact on that, on that. Um, whether you're an ENFJ or, a, or an ISTP has an impact on that, whether you're a type 1, type 4, or type 7 on the, on the Enneagram, this all has an impact on how much you can handle, but the short in short, friends are vital to our well-being. They are also one of the primary ways that God has to teach us and to bring his kingdom here on earth in our corner of the universe. So what I want you to do now is to think of two, three maximum friends. People who you really care about. Not husbands, wives, family. I'm talking about people outside of your family who you would consider friends. People who God has led into your life. People who you choose to be emotionally close to. I want you to fix those people in, 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 in mind. And I'd like Haven to come up again and read some scriptures. And once again, listen to what God is saying to you as Haven reads through these scriptures on friends. Let's, let's once again have a few minutes silence and then we'll start reading. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs seventeen nine. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. 
Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 19.4 Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. Proverbs 26 Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find? Proverbs 27.6 Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 27.9 Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Now I'd like to read you a couple of pointy-edged verses from Proverbs that could either apply to friends or to neighbors. Now these verses may make you feel uncomfortable because, they're about, because they are about an area of life in which most of us have sinned. When we've crossed that line from concerned interest and we move into spreading gossip or hearsay, so I'd like us to listen. I would like us to, to, to let, let this moment be quiet, to let God's Spirit speak to us where we need to hear it. It's just a couple of verses, but if I can have Haven come back up and uh, read these two verses. Proverbs 26, 20 to 22. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as, woods to, as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Proverbs twenty nineteen, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. So the question is, do you enjoy the latest news in your social circle? Are there rumors that you are passing on masquerading as prayer points? Have you secured that person's um, okay for you to share that information or not? If not, should you share it? Are there people that you need to limit how much time you spend with them simply because they talk too much? We were made in God's image. He's a creator who's spoken to being what was not there before. And as many creators, our words have creative power. And so the question is, uh, what reality are we creating through the words that we speak? Speak God's recreation into your corner of his universe. And next Sunday, that's exactly what we are doing. We're going out to lay bricks. 
We're going out to plant seeds as we walk from house to house, praying for our neighbors and our friends. We're speaking life into our community through, through the team at Oak Ridge Apartments, through the two practical teams going out, and through the many prayer teams going out through North Gore, we are speaking God's recreation into our corner of God's universe. As we pray for that house and we place a door hanger on their door that tells them that Jesus loves them, we are speaking recreation, which is incredible. And so, I want to leave us here today with this, with this plea for us to choose to be part of God's recreation into our corner of God's universe. There, there will be people in our community who are lost, who are lonely, who desperately need to hear of a Savior. There will be people who are financially insecure, who are going through messy divorces. There are people in our neighborhood who are new to our country. Maybe there are people who are successful in the world's eyes, but inside they are empty, they are afraid, they are hungry for more, and they're just waiting for that moment when someone tells them that Jesus loves them. One day God will say, it is done. And I want to see North Gold people in that crowd because of Cornerstone folks. That's what I want. In Revelation 21, verse 5, God says, I am making everything new. This is God's end game. The new heavens and the new earth uh, coming down to meet this earth like a bride joining her husband at the altar. This, we can't imagine what it's like. This, this, this sense of coming home, such a peace that will rest upon every recreated heart. We who are Jesus's, we will all say at that moment, this is what I've been missing. This is what I've been waiting for. It will be incredible. It will be indescribable. It will be unprecedented. God is going to make everything new. And then verse 6 of Revelation 21, he will say, it is done. Echoing what Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished that the shadows of this fallen world will then give way to the crystal clear brightness of God's new day. But while we're waiting for that moment, let's not be twiddling our thumbs, killing time, playing Candy Crush or Minecraft on our smartphones. Because instead of playing Minecraft on our smartphones, God wants us to play Minecraft in real life. Constructing, building, rebuilding, creating, making something beautiful that wasn't there before. One relationship at a time, one word at a time. In this corner of God's universe that God has given us creative power over, we are to be speaking life and truth. How do we do that? By allowing words to come out of our mouths that are sanctified for God's purposes, by speaking life into the lives around us. And as we speak the words of God then the word of God, Jesus Christ, speaks through us. He brings life. He starts laying living stone upon living stone until we have a new home, a new neighborhood, a new town, a new city. This is recreation. He wants us to create a forest of life where hope lives, where the gospel is heard and experienced, where your friends and neighbors Start to see that instead of being the end of a cellular chain, chain of accidents, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
that they are made in God's image, that God has placed his divine stamp on them, that when they look in the mirror, they see someone who God created to resemble him. Behold, I am making everything new. They need to hear the gospel. It is good. It is cursed. It is finished. It is done. And the bricks we lay are the words we speak. The seeds we plant are the words that we choose to allow out of our mouths. So let us speak God's recreation into our corner of God's universe.